All right, so we are back into uh, our series, Prepare Him Room, uh, continuing on with that series, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. Hopefully you found that in your Bible. Um, today, sermon title is Only for the Week. We're preparing him room, and we've gone through a couple of different weeks already. Uh, the first one, we saw uh, that as we prepare him room, we ought not waste our waiting, that we're preparing him room by not wasting that season of waiting, that season of maybe some stress, maybe some difficulties, some grief, some sorrow, some pain. Uh, it's not as it should be right now, right? And so we don't want to waste that waiting. We want to see what God would do and, and in our hearts and, and in our lives and through our lives. Uh, last week, we talked about that uh, we prepare him room, uh, and in fact, we're preparing him room. God came near, that God was really the one that came near, and that when God comes near, we should take the time and make the effort to prepare him room. And today, we're looking at, uh, looking at the fact that it's only for the week. So uh, when we prepare him room, making room for Jesus really is only for the week. The proud rarely make room for for Jesus, and I, I was reminded about this this week as uh, my my children and I, and my family, we were we were decorating our Christmas tree, right? Putting some ornaments on. You're like, yeah, I know it's late, but we're doing it anyway. And and I, I grabbed a nativity ornament out of the, out of the box and started hanging it up. We love nativities, of course. We love Jesus. We want to make it about Jesus. But sometimes I wonder, and it kind of got me thinking about things that maybe some people, for some people during Christmas, that nativity is the only room they make for Jesus all season long. They hang in a nativity ornament on their tree, or they set up a nativity like the one in front of me uh, in their house somewhere, and that's the room they make for Jesus. And I want to tell you, that's totally inadequate. That's not the right amount of space for Jesus. Every single moment, every single day, our hearts should be looking towards Jesus, waiting for Jesus, and making room for Jesus. Making room for Jesus, again, is only for the week. Most people at Christmas, when you're putting ornaments on the tree, you're, you're making an event out of it, get it done, decorate the tree so we can move on to the next thing. Let's bake the cookies, let's make the cake, let's, let's get the dinner uh, prepared, whatever it might be, presents uh, shopped for, presents wrapped, make sure the Amazon order's in on time so it gets delivered on time. Hope and pray the mail gets delivered on time, or all those things you're doing. We think, well, I can do this in my strength, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make Christmas amazing. It's going to be the best Christmas ever, right? Because I, my strength. And in that attitude of, of pride, we miss making room for Jesus because we're too strong. So making room for Jesus is only for the weak. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text today out of 1 Corinthians. Father, we come before you thankful that you are our Savior. Lord, thank you for the opportunity you give us, God, not only every Sunday, but every day, every moment, to think of you, to remember you, to incline our hearts and the affection of our hearts towards you. Lord, I pray today that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, to make room. God, even, even to expose the fact and admit that we are weak and we need you. So we ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, that you would move us into a place of obedience and submission to you, of joy because of you. And Lord, that we would be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent, whom you gave for our freedom and our redemption. And we pray it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're reading verses 26 through 31 this morning. It says this. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let no or let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, I, I know that may sound odd as a Christmas verse, and uh, you know it's been been debated this week: is today Christmas service or is next week Christmas service? And I say both, right? I say both. Why not both? And uh, and we are going to get into the Christmas story, but I wanted us to start with this passage because I think it's very relevant as we look at this Christmas passage is only for the week. Making room for Jesus is only for the week. And, and God says this, and Paul, Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians that it's about God using the week so that no one can boast. So as we get into our text today, uh, we see that uh, it's only for the week. And, and number one is this, for the humble, for those who are humble. First part of the verse in Corinthians says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Now I want us to recall this and think of this. From a human perspective, right? Not many were wise from a human perspective. Sometimes we get too down on ourselves. Like I'm not very smart or I'm not very popular. I'm not very likable. And we're kind of regurgitating maybe how how the society feels towards us or how they would define us or, or how they would look at us. And, and so it's being addressed here today. It's from a human perspective. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Doesn't mean you're not wise, right? Uh, or not many powerful or not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world, what's foolish in the world or in, in the view of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So we, we start there with that verse. We see what is foolish in the world or what is weak in the world. This is that kind of humiliation that builds up humility and, and becomes humble, right? And so we're going to see this in our Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me to Luke chapter 1, we'll be back and forth to 1 Corinthians. But if you go to Luke 1, we're going to see some of this Christmas narrative today and just be excited about what we see. Uh, hopefully you've been able to follow along with some of the the Advent devotions we've been sending out every morning. It's, again, a short little video uh, that, you, that should spur you on towards excitement in Christ and, and kind of settling your day in Christ and starting your day in Christ and, or finishing your day in Christ, right? But keeping our, our hearts and minds on Jesus, our Savior. So we're in Luke chapter 1, and I, I want to show you this, this gal named Mary, right? And Mary had the angel come to her and said, you're going to have the baby Jesus. You're going to give birth to Jesus. How can I? I? I don't have a husband. I've never had sexual relations. And Well, no, it's the Holy Spirit's work that's going to happen. You're going to become pregnant with the Messiah because God has found favor in you. Well, why? And here, here's, here's her uh, magnificent, right? She, she speaks out in praise to God of what he's done. In verse 46, we pick up the story. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. And surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let me stop there for a minute. Let's, let's analyze this, this passage and see where is this humility? Where is, where is this humble servant situation? She says, God has looked on the, on the humble condition of his servant. Now, Mary was this, this humble person, this nobody, right? Maybe, maybe not considered wise or of noble birth, all those things we saw a minute ago. Like, that's not who she was. No one would expect the Messiah to come from Mary. She lived an obscure, humble life in, in nowhere, 
right? Nowhere land, nowhereville. It wasn't like she had any, any royal blood or she was, a, well, she did, right? But she wasn't a king or queen. Or she wasn't in a palace. This wasn't like uh, someone of status because that's what the world would expect. But I love what she says. She says, God has looked with favor on the humble condition of your servant's heart, right? And surely, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What does that indicate? Well, it indicates, one, that there, people are going to praise God for the Messiah to come from her. But it also says, from now on, which means before that moment, ain't nobody called her blessed. Nobody looked at her and said, wow, she's amazing. Look at this gal. This is going to be the mom of the Messiah. Obviously, God's going to use her in mighty ways. She was obscure. And that made her this humble servant of God, saying, you know what? All I, all I need is God. I don't need popularity. I don't need ego. I don't need credentials. All I need is God. So she sees that God has looked at her with favor in the humble condition of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because, in verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Again, the, the people that are humble. People that, that come before God not with pride, but with humility and reverence. And it says he has done a mighty deed with his arm. Well, what has he done? He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. Again, making room for Jesus is only for the weak, and the humble are the ones that are going to get it. The proud are going to be scattered. If you think you have it all figured out, you've got your, your itinerary for Christmas done, and you're not making room... In your own strength, you're going to do nothing. He's going to scatter the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has trampled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant, right, humble servant, Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mary knows this. Mary says, God, how you exalt the lowly, how you topple the proud. And she was so blessed to be able to say, God is using me, a humble servant. And all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not because I'm something wonderful, but because God is amazing and God uses the lowly. Making room for Jesus is only for the weak and it's the humble. But look at the outflow of this. In Isaiah 29, 19, it says this, the humble, the humble will have joy. The humble will have joy. Uh, after joy in the Lord, and, and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. See, humility sets us up for rejoicing. Rejoicing in, in a God, in the, only, in the only one that could ever do anything for us. There's, there's joy that comes from our humility. The humble can't help but rejoice and make room for their Savior. So the question for you and I, are we making room? Are we humbling ourselves before the Savior? Are we quieting our hearts? Are we, are we saying, you know what, it's not about my strength. It's not about my ability. It's not about what the world thinks of me or how they would define me. It's about how humble my heart might be before God because he is everything I need. We go on to number two. It's only for the weak, and those are number two, the seemingly insignificant. The seemingly insignificant. And now Mary was probably one of those as well. She could be lopped into there, but she was that humble, we saw that humble servant that she was. So we're going to see this, this build up in our Christmas story in Luke 2. Uh, you can kind of flip there, but in, back in our regular passage of 1 Corinthians, uh, God has chosen, he goes on, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. 
insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. God wants no person to be able to stand before him and say, look how good I've been. Look how amazing I am. So he goes to the lowly. He goes to the humble, the broken, because they understand that they are nothing without him. Our Christmas story picks up. And this idea of insignificant and despised, it's the rejected, it's the marginalized, it's people on the outskirts. Like, oh no, they, they don't matter anymore. Right? They're not good enough. Well, we see that in the story of the shepherds. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is Messiah the Lord. Now let me stop there for a minute. Let's, let's just break this down a little bit. They were shepherds. This is the lowliest job you could have. I mean, in the family, like you were the run of the litter, the, the youngest kid. You got the job of watching the sheep at night in the fields. Cleaning up, bandaging them, carrying them. I mean, it was not a fun, exciting job. It was dirty and humbling and possibly humiliating at times. It was tough. But it was amazing how God even exalted uh, lowly, insignificant shepherds when he, when he called himself the good shepherd, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. And we see that the Lord is our shepherd. And he talks about this, this important, important job that they have. Well, to most society, it was like, no, that was, they're shepherds. They're in, insignificant. They're obscure. They're despised by the world. They're viewed really as nothing. But the angels appeared to them on, on the hill outside of town. They didn't appear in the center of town, in the town square. They didn't appear in Jerusalem to the leaders and to the people that would have, would have been powerful. They appeared to someone that was insignificant and despised or rejected and viewed as nothing. And they said, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, to you, I proclaim this to you. No, I didn't proclaim it down the street. I didn't proclaim it in I proclaim it to you. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. I want you to know I'm proclaiming this to you, and this is good news for all people. All people can have this. The Messiah has been born. This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, I want to stop there before we read the rest of this. It's, it's important. This is a good news, bad news situation. And I was listening to a podcast this week from a pastor, and he was talking about this good news, the idea of good news and bad news. Typically, when we hear bad news, we hope that it's what? Not true. But when we hear good news, we hope that it is true. We, we want it to be true. So you think about this good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. We're going to see this in a minute when we look at the Magi coming uh, to, to Jerusalem, to Herod, right? And they say, hey, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. That should be, if that was to the shepherds, what would that have been? Good news. And they would have been like, let's go too. We want to find him. But they said it to Herod and, and to Jerusalem and to the chief priest. And to them it was what? Bad news, and they hope it wasn't true. In fact, they, Herod wanted to make it untrue. So he sent out a decree to slaughter the, the, the children under two years old. 
You see how this works? When it's bad news, we don't want it to be true. When it's good news, we want it to be true. And what we see is the weak are the ones that see Jesus as Messiah as good news of great joy. And they know it's for all people. Whosoever would believe would have eternal life. So they're on this hillside and they hear good news. What do they do? Let's go see if it's true. Let's go find out. Let's, let's make sure it's really happening. And they run and go. If it would have been to someone else, the proud, the strong, they would have been like, well, I don't know. I've got it pretty well together. I'm not sure it's good enough news to really go check out. That's eh, probably bad news. And they wouldn't have wanted to. They would have hoped it was not true. Why'd you have to tell me that? It ruined my day. Go on your way. Get out of here. But the shepherds saw it as good news of great joy. They hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. There's this awe and this wonder in the good news of Jesus Christ, especially to those who are the seemingly insignificant, those who are despised by the world or viewed as nothing. And said, Mary treasured up these things in her heart and meditated on them. And the shepherds returned. They had the good news, right? They found it. They saw him. It was good news. It was confirmed. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, were just, which were just as they had been told. See, the, the weak are the ones who will hear good news and respond. So for you, if, if the message about Christ, if you're not making room for Christ, maybe because you're too strong, you're not going to respond to the good news of great joy the way the weak will, the way the seemingly insignificant will. Their response, well, the seemingly insignificant, they're filled with awe and amazement in the message about the Savior. Have you made room? Have you understood that you're, you're probably viewed as nothing by some? And when you stand before God, you're, you are nothing. Have you responded in joy and faith? to the message, to the good news of Christ. What leads us to the final point. Making room for Jesus is only for the weak. It's number three, it's for the repentant. It's for the repentant. We see back in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the, uh, it is from him that you are in Christ. So talking about not boasting, not being able to do it on your own strength, Right? God chose the weak, despised, the rejected. Right, It's from him that you were in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. That's an amazing passage talking about this. You can't accomplish your own righteousness. You can't accomplish your own sanctification. You can't accomplish your own redemption. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's amazing glory, and none of us can live up to the standard that he says is right, which is perfect. None of us can do that. So Paul says in Corinthians, he wants us to know, it is only from him that you are in Christ. So why, why do only the, those who make room for Jesus, why are, they, why are they the weak or the repentant? Because they know that only in him and through him is any life at all. That nothing they bring and nothing they have to offer could ever satisfy. I want us to show you this, this Christmas story. We're in Matthew now, chapter 1, if you turn there with me. Matthew chapter 1. Sorry, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 1 is a lot of names preparing us for Jesus' birth. It's good stuff, though. Matthew chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 9 just to kind of catch the story. You can read the entirety of it later on. 
Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, this is what I said earlier, right? Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Come to worship him. An amazing posture and attitude we see in these wise men's hearts. Whether they're astrologers and wise men, sorcerers of some sort, they saw a star, a, a sign that said, the king has been born, the king of the Jews. And what they do, they came over not just to pay homage, but to worship him. It wasn't a, res- a gift of respect and saying, hey, you're a king, we're, we're, we're kind of rich, we wanted to say hey and kind of earn some favor. They, their attitude was to come and worship the king. So verse 9, after hearing the king, because the king was like, this is upsetting to me, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. Uh, When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And listen, here's the posture again. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. If he... You can catch gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You can check that out later. But this is the important part right here. They fell to their knees and worshipped this child. The baby, toddler, whatever he was at that point, Messiah. They fell to their knees and worshipped. What did they say? We are absolutely nothing compared to this Messiah who has been born Savior of the world. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. One of our Advent devotions talked about those three things and what what they signified. So what does giving up or bowing down get you? That's the question. It's an attitude of repentance in the heart is that giving up and bowing down before God. Well, it gets us grace. And we see that in Paul's writing again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Isn't that amazing? The Lord Jesus says, my grace is enough for you. You can be weak and bow. Don't worry about that. Be humble. Be humiliated. Be despised. Be rejected. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, when you are bowing before me, when you are worshiping me, my grace is sufficient for you. What you're coming to me for, Jesus says, is my grace. And again, he lavishes grace upon grace from his fullness on us, on those who would receive him as Savior. My power is perfected in weakness. So in the middle of our weakness, weakest time, in the middle of our weakness and our humility and, our, and our, our dis, being despised or rejected by others or what society would say is normal, he says that's when my power is the greatest. It's perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will, I will most gladly boast. This is what Paul writes. I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness. He's like, that's, I, want, I want more of God's strength, so I'm going to boast more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, what? Then I am strong. What does bowing down and giving up get us? Being found in Christ in a strength that we could never, ever muster on our own. It's only for the weak because he is strong enough. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. It's the Beatitudes, but it's this, it's this progression of salvation, of a heart 
a humble heart. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Not the rich or the have-it-all-together people, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. You see these words again? Humble, weak, meek, empty. It goes on. Blessed are the, the humble. And this, and this humble is that empty. It's meekness. And, and I love the progression because it, it, it should be a progression of salvation for someone who comes to Christ. We have to be in that absolute humility, absolute weakness. We come before him knowing how, how greatly we've sinned against him, knowing how far from the mark we are. That makes us poor in spirit. And then we mourn over that. We grieve over that. Blessed are those who mourn. We weep over the fact that we are sinful and separated from God and there's nothing we can do. And then we stand before him. We know that we are absolutely meek or empty. We're worthless before him. We're useless. There's nothing I can bring and say, look at how good I've been, God. Look at, look at all the things I've done. Surely that will be enough. And God will be like, no, it's not enough at all. Not even a drop in the hat. That's why we stand before him humble or meek. And when we are empty, this is, think about this, because this happens usually about noon, just before we're getting out of service, right? People's stomachs start growling, they're empty, and they start getting hungry. For us to really find Christ, to really have Christ, we have to be empty, because otherwise we wouldn't be hungry for him. So once we're empty, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Making room for Jesus is only for the weak. And the weak are the repentant, those who empty themselves of their own ideas and preconceived notions, their preferences, and say none of that matters. All that matters is knowing Christ and having Christ and being found in Christ. I love the message of the gospel. We see it in Romans chapter 5. While we were still helpless. Right? It doesn't say while we were still working it out, while we were still getting it together, while we were still polishing our resume, while we were still checking off the boxes. It said while we were still helpless. Making room for Christ is only for the weak. It's for the helpless. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an amazing promise. You know, so often we, we have these conversations and talk like, well, I'm not, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite good enough. I got to kind of still figure things out. I got to get some stuff together and then, I'll, and then I'll be ready to come to Christ. Then I'll be ready to, to be a part of a, a church family because of faith and and that's not the message at all. The message says you, you've got to get to the lowest spot. You've got to understand how desperately in need you are of Jesus and that nothing you have to offer would ever do before him. While we were helpless, he died for us. He proves his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And it's by grace, by his grace that he pours out to us through the cross and resurrection. It's by grace and through our faith in him we are saved. By grace, through faith, not of ourselves. We can't boast. It's, again, going back to our normal passage, our first passage here. It, it's, it's so that you can't boast. You can't say, look how good I am. Look how good I've been and look what I've done. 
It's all about what Jesus has done for us by grace, through faith, we believe. And when we believe, you see the responses in all of these. There's worship and joy. Not because, man, I figured it out. There's joy because of what Christ has done for you. The joy from the repentant overflows towards Jesus through faith in Christ. I want us to see this last couple passages, Isaiah chapter 11 and then Isaiah chapter 12. And, and I encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 11, the full thing, later on. It's probably in your discussion sheet as well. But for just kind of a little like context, I want to read a couple verses out of Isaiah 11. We see this promised Messiah who comes and the response of the people. But it, it says this, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, speaking about the Messiah, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This is the promised Messiah. Jesus will come from the house and line of David, from Jesse. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. In verse 10, on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. There is a provision that Jesus is going to provide that, that compares to nothing else. Nothing compares to what Jesus provides, those who trust him in faith. So making room for Jesus means boasting about him. It means trusting in him. It's letting, us, let, letting him know we are weak and only he is strong. And then hopping into verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. On that day, you will say, and this should be the response of those who have made room because they were weak and trusted him in faith. I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will, you will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make His works known among the peoples. Declare that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in His greatness. Listen, that response is only from those who have come and made room, who are weak, only those who are humble or seemingly insignificant, only those who have come and approached Christ in repentant faith and turned to Him. This is not the same attitude as the person who made room for a nativity on their Christmas tree only. This is the attitude of someone who knows they are absolutely nothing without Jesus because He is everything. So when we prepare Him room, we start from that weak, frail place, poor in spirit, Trusting Him in faith. And then He is our everything all the time. I love you guys. Let's go and stand and have prayer together. Father, we, we lean into You. We trust You. God, if there's any form of pride or strength that's here today, God, I pray that You would help us to repent of that, to remove that from our, our hearts, from our ego, from anything. That, God, we would really surrender to you. We'd come before you as nothing, as weak, as humble, and, God, as ultimately repentant. 
turning from our own way, turning from our own strength, turning from our own sin, and turning to you for rescue, for you, to you for righteousness, for redemption, for sanctification. Lord, we thank you so much for the provision you have made. We thank you for this time of the year, which it's in our face even more because it's Christmas. But God, even in the middle of Christmas, our hearts can wander into commercialism. Lord, our hearts might wander into a place of, of trying to plan it all out and figure it all out and have our ducks in a row. But Lord, help us to pause every chance we get to recall and to remember you, to remember your sacrifice, your provision, and that you are our strength. For when we are weak, then we are strong. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.